0: This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voices of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voices of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Masters program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com.
1: Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined as always. By assistant editor Andrew Keats. Scott, how you doing, pal? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm gonna do this again.
2: We should keep doing it. It's been years at this point. Yeah. I don't see why we would stop <laughs> Just now. Keep going. Yeah.
1: Coming up on the show this week, the governor can stay. He can stay being governor. He can. He gets the prize of managing this state, which is on fire and full of poverty and messes. He gets to keep doing it. The recall vote happened, and it wasn't close at all. We're going to talk about that. Also, I interviewed Shane Crotty. He's an immunologist from the La Jolla Institute of Immunology about the Delta variant and vaccine boosters and kids and everything. It was a special episode of the podcast. You can find it in this feed. We're going to talk about COVID here, too, and about that interview. And related, the head of the Police Officers Union for the City of San Diego, the Police Officers Association, said the results of a recent survey showed 90% of police officers oppose a vaccine mandate and nearly half would rather be fired than comply. Finally, we have new documents that show that although the supposed volunteer special real estate advisor for the city didn't have a formal agreement with the city, he did have one with the landlord that wanted to sell the city a couple buildings. Big scoop from Lisa Halverstadt. We're going to break it down. That's all coming up. First, NPR just had a delightful story. I feel like NPR gave a gift to San Diego public
2: discourse this week. Just knowing how easy it would have been for them to not write this story, for the reporter to be like, hey, this weird thing happened in court today, and the editor to be like... You've got a lot to cover. Don't yeah. worry about it. But they it, did. It, but they didn't do that. They didn't they, do that. Yeah. You
1: can look it up. "Quote: Concerned citizen at Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes trial turns out to be family." Uh, the headline doesn't do it justice. It should say, "Just read this." That's all it should say. Especially if you know San Diego. So it turns out, this uh, the the guy, the reporter from NPR, Bobby Allen, he. Was in other reporters were covering the trial of Theranos, former Theranos CEO, Elizabeth Holmes. If you haven't read Bad Blood, great book about the uh, uh, company she created and the lies and exaggerations she told along the way.
2: All in service of a benevolent cause, which is going to happen in due time to have a one prick uh, blood sample that you know that uh, revolutionizes healthcare. Yeah, right. You, I mean it's happening. Hopefully. It was is all based on real stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Little machines that could process
1: blood really fast. They never actually invented the machines but they really were good about how good
2: they would be. Yeah, they had a really clear idea. Good idea. Great idea. And the fact that it was scientifically impossible <laughs> shouldn't get in the way of her getting Obscenely rich for her awesome idea that is science fiction.
1: All right. So they're doing jury selection for her fraud trial. Didn't work out really well. The United States government has accused her of fraud. At the trial, these reporters start to notice a guy there who's like kind of obnoxious. Like they describe him opening a Rice Krispie treat during the jury selection.
2: Yeah, actually, it turns out, I think it was uh, a string thing. I think, I think it was a, uh, a 90s-era uh, gummy snack that he had to peel off <laughs> and that he was uh, dangling above his head and, 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 and e- eating bite by bite.
1: <laughs> yeah, loudly, so loudly, in fact, that the judge's voice was barely audible. <laughs> he called himself Hanson, and he wore a cap and a Patagonia puffer jacket. All right, so they're they're all wondering, like, what's your deal,
2: man? Because he's basically like, it's impossible to ignore this goof who's just <laughs> in the middle of the courtroom being very loud. Yeah, and he's like, he's
1: talking up reporters and and like all the time trying to, hey, put in perspective the case. Like, uh, you know, what's your, you know, do you, did you keep this in mind or, or whatever? And the reporters after a while, they're like, what's your what's your deal deal, man who who are you and he's like do i know her does
2: anyone know her what does it
1: even mean to know someone does anyone know know anyone
2: got got very philosophical (laughs) (laughs) he's
1: and he says no i'm and they say well what do you do and he's like i just work on cars man i'm i just have a i have a lot of old cars i work on and i'm just i'm trying to be here as a media watchdog he told the npr he said quote no journalist has ever told the real story about Elizabeth Holmes. Everyone is just copy and pasting each other's stories without thinking. And he's going to be this like kind of
2: watchdog on them again by attending trial and <laughs> hanging around them. Yeah, is so, is the the extent of his watchdog behavior here? Right. Yeah. Right. He, he's he's a mole. They're like, but so, again, like a mole, like. You're allowed to st- stand around near yeah. reporters talking. It's not even. A, it's you're not. In, you haven't infiltrated anything. It's fine. it's so, like no one is less careful about what they say during their work than reporters. You want to know what, like every story they have? Go hang out with one for five minutes. They'll Yeah, tell exactly. You. Very, very open. <laughs> so this guy, he calls himself Hanson. They <laughs> say, What's your
1: name? And he's like Hanson. <laughs> At one point, there he's riding an elevator with a bunch of reporters and. This guy from NPR turns to him and says, are you a mole?
2: And he
1: says, well, I've got a mole on my bald head. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's like this, like deflection yeah, and like, like half truth yeah. thing. That's like, I don't, I mean, I guess at this point you might as well just lie. Why are like, why right. are you? <laughs> so then the story
1: takes a turn. No, I'm
2: not a mole. It would be a fine.
1: And so this is remember during, during jury selection. So the trial actually starts. Yeah. And Elizabeth Holmes shows up at the trial and in her entourage is this guy. Yeah. And they all, these reporters discover that that's actually Bill Evans, who, if you follow San Diego Public Affairs, you should know the the name. He runs, owns the Bahia Hotel and Resort, the Catamaran Hotel and Resort, all on Mission Bay. And he owns the Torrey Pines Lodge. Right. And He's a big deal in San Diego Public Affairs. Like, he's the guy, the tourism guy.
2: Yeah, he's very intellectual in tourism circles, so he's played a big role in the convention center. He played a big role in the Balboa Park Centennial. And it turns out yeah. his son,
1: Billy Evans. Right. So there's Bill Evans, and then there's Billy Evans. Right. Billy Evans is Elizabeth Holmes's partner. Yes, they just had a child together. They just had a child together. So the reporters are like...
2: It sounds like there was a moment where they're all like, oh, who's, is, that, is that the guy? Is That's that the, is that guy the that that mole was... guy with the Rice Krispie treat? <laughs> and, and they're like,
1: "They." so this guy asked him, like, what's, what's going on? Evan said he had no memory of sitting next to me for seven hours during the first day of jury selection. He did not deny telling reporters his name was Hanson. Instead, he defended it. Quote,
2: people have nicknames. You can be free to use them. And they... <laughs> these reporters ascertain that his name probably wasn't Hansen cuz his Starbucks cup said Bill on it. <laughs> what a what, what bizarre behavior. It's like it's like it's like insane lying is contagious when you spend time with Elizabeth Holmes. All of this sounds like a chapter out of Bad Blood.
1: Yeah, he's trying to hold the media accountable by
2: he's committing lying f- to them. He's committing fraud them. at a fraud trial
1: you got to read this. Give NPR the click as a thank you. Maybe send a donation early to your public radio station to support this kind of delightful journalism that has shined so much joy and brought so much joy into our newsroom this week. Thank you, NPR. Right now, Gavin Newsom, Governor Gavin Newsom, yeah, the the voters have chosen by a sixty-four so far to thirty-six percent margin to keep him as governor. Wasn't close. Wasn't close at all. Yeah, not at all. No. So we have a couple of the takes, but first off, one the local angle to this was, of course, the former mayor Kevin Faulkner, who ran for this seat. He uh, didn't do very well, Andy. I don't know if you saw this. He got... You seen this? You heard about this? (laughs) So, more people chose not to vote in the second question of who should replace Gavin Newsom than any
2: of the people in that choice. Yeah, so the winning, the question one, yes or no, no won by a lot. Mm -hmm. On question two... The top choice was none of these losers.
1: None of them. Yeah. And Larry Elder, the radio host, is right now at 47% of the people who did make a choice on there.
2: So, so like, uh, roughly half the people didn't vote at all. Mm -hmm. Half of the remaining people chose Larry Elder. And (laughs) yeah. And then 8.6%
1: or 4%, basically. Right. 4% (laughs) chose.
2: Kevin Faulkner for this role. Yeah. Now he d- he did do better than that here in San Diego County. Okay. Where he is known because he was the mayor for 7 years. Yeah. And the city councilman for 8 before that. Yeah, really. And still even in in even here got less than half as many votes as Larry Elder, <laughs> a conservative talk show host who's never run for office before. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So from Los Angeles, not hard, a, not
1: a local talk show host. So a, a little hard to see
2: anything good about that. No. Um, in fact, give him credit. I haven't seen many people trying to spin this up for Kevin.
1: No, no, nobody has. I've, I've seen zero efforts to spin, except he yeah. is still he, still, he still wants to go. He's ready for more fight.
2: I will leave you with this. Tonight was round one. There's more to come. Woo-hoo! Thank you, guys. Uh, Said Peter McNeely on his way back to the corner after facing Mike Tyson. Right. <laughs> that was, that's, that's that was so round one. It
1: is, a, it is a reference to boxing, the yeah. rounds of boxing.
2: So that means
1: he's going to come back and fight. What punch, Andy, yeah. could Kevin Faulkner turn to yeah. to land a more deadly blow on the current governor? <laughs> t- he tried some Instagram posts. Okay. He he tried. He didn't do the bear. That was somebody else. <laughs> didn't,
2: he, also didn't turn out to be a good strategy. He
1: showed up on some dirty streets. He said tough things about Newsom. What blow
2: mm-hmm.
1: can he land?
2: Maybe, maybe you could call him Pretty Boy?
1: <laughs> yeah, he's the only one I heard who didn't call the current governor Pretty Boy. That was a Carl DeMille thing,
2: John Cox thing. It's a good way to indicate that this was like a serious policy-based difference of opinion that needed to result in the removal from office is is sort of, you know, schoolyard taunts.
1: Right. Andy, I want to hear yours. There's a lot of people saying this was a waste of money. Yeah. There's a lot
2: of think what we could have done with the $276 million. And I got to say, bad take. Don't like it. Uh, For one... It is a tiny rounding error of the state's budget. It is a small, small amount of money. Um, and two, if you oppose this recall, that's fine, right? Or, or the recall process in general. If you think the signature threshold is too low. That seems reasonable if you think the time that they had to get signatures was too long. We're one of 20
1: states that have a recall. Maybe we should join the other
2: 30 that don't and do an
1: impeachment if it's that bad or vote them out when it's not.
2: Or it has to happen in the first X number of years of a term. Uh, Or maybe the actual election procedure here wasn't right. Maybe it should have been first recall, yes or no. Second, then you have an election. So somebody can't win with a A lot of options, right? I have no issue with any of those governance complaints. But until those reforms are enacted, this is the system that's in place. And as long as this is the system that's in place, $276 million is just the cost of democracy. And it's a small amount of money to pay. And as long as we have a constitution, as long as we have a system of uh, a, a legislature, as long as we have the courts that check those laws, it is the system. And the cost that, it, that, it, that is entailed with any of those procedures is just the cost of doing business and you make peace with it and you move on with your life. This is so much to me like when cities – complain about the costs of complying with the Public Records Act request. And to them, and in this case I say both, it is the cost of having a government, it is ha- the cost of having a system that we can trust. Move on.
1: It's a cost of open society. It, one of the, the things about the rule of law that we all like in this open society is that you look at the law and you do what you can with it to try to Assert your position. Assert your interests. The whole point of this whole system of government is for people to do that without shooting each other, right? (laughs) Right. Is to have, we have competing interests all the time, labor, business, activists, environments, businesses, people all wanting things out of life. And rather than shoot each other, we've created the system that's based on laws. The whole point of that, and the Democrats do it plenty, is to use those laws, interpret them, and try to assert your position accordingly to the best of your ability. This is a law on the books. They have they tried to assert their position through it. They failed. If it, if you don't want it, change the
2: law. Yes, exactly. Now, is it the case that the recall proponents were opportunistically uh, taking advantage of the pandemic? That they had filed the recall and their intent to do a recall before the pandemic started. And then only later did they even realize that they might actually have been given it was enough fuel sixth, to make this happen. This was the sixth recall attempt. Yes. This, this yeah. is the one that finally made it. Right. Yes. All of that is totally true. Mm-hmm. And they got slapped down by the voters because of it. It didn't work. And uh, in the future, one might work. And if that scares you, then let's figure out the set of reforms necessary to make whatever changes you're concerned with, whatever. But do it. Yeah, do it. Change the laws. You have two thirds majority in the in but it, the in the houses. As long as this is the law, two hundred seventy six million dollars is a small price to pay for, to have a functioning democracy. Yeah, and I think the the fundamental issue this this was
1: decided when. Gavin Newsom successfully got other Democrats to stay out of this. Right. And if there was an Antonio Villaragosa or somebody like that running for that alternate seat, could have been a different story. Yeah. But that didn't happen. And so he very clearly made it a choice between him and what became obvious, Larry Elder. And look... In any situation, the physics of these of this state's politics are going to dictate the outcome that we literally got. There's no mystery here. It'd be like if they were forced to recall in Utah, but uh, at the, when it finally got down to it, it was the governor that was there and AOC. Yeah, you know, like, they're not going to do it. Right. It's, it's just, she's not going to play there. Right. And so it's just it's like uh, it's there's no mystery here. And why nobody, including Kevin Faulkner. Chose to try to appeal to people beyond that slice of people that Larry Elder clearly captured. It's just it's a mystery, and and whatever it's his problem. This week I spoke with immunologist Shane Crotty for a special episode of the podcast. I know Andy, you're a big fan of the special episodes that I do, so looking forward to your feedback. I primarily listen. For you, yeah. For for my for take, the guests, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Thank you for your support. So uh, we uh, talked a lot about the. I had a lot of questions about the Delta variant, about boosters, about kids, about all kinds of things. And I asked him about something I had said on the radio a couple of weeks ago, and wanted to get his take on it. Look, at this point, you're either vaccinated or you're gonna catch Delta variant. You know, it's it's gonna be most likely thing you'll ever have in your life in terms of an infection to put you in the hospital. And I said that because the, the data from the UK were, were so clear at that point that it was just so infectious that um, you're definitely going to be coming in contact with people who are going to end up having it. And then it's a question of are you protected against it uh, or, or not? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a fair statement. So yeah, it was a good conversation about COVID, uh, about how, the, you know, karate is on the front Lines of researchers in the world understanding and trying to figure out what happens to the body when viruses like SARS CoV 2 come in. Uh, and he's got a new paper out in Nature this week. Great conversation, I thought, and a great insight about the booster. Andy, he said he's not sure he wants a booster. Interesting. Yeah, he said that if he had the Pfizer vaccine, he would, but he got Moderna, and that seems to be holding up a little better. And he said, like, there is, you know, you do get a little bit, you don't feel great after that booster shot. So is that really worth it? Given the vast protections we've seen from that, he said he's still looking into it. Fascinating. Uh, Check that out. It should be in your feed, uh, in the Voice San Diego podcast feed, anywhere you get podcasts. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD.
1: All right, related to all of these things, COVID in San Diego appears to be coming down like we thought. We talked about the two month surge cycle that seems to be consistent across the world and country, still holding up. Cases going down, hospitalizations finally going down. They're still not great, but that looks good. But there's this ongoing, we're, we're kind of marching toward a really interesting moment, Andy, for Mayor Todd Gloria. So he and the city have put in a mandate for city employees that they get vaccinated or they get tested. What's the actual status of that?
2: It was like, a, we're going to do this? Yeah, they announced it. They're in negotiations with the unions to implement it. And the, the deadline is, is sometime in the future still, uh, based on they, they built in some time from FDA, full FDA approval and then some weeks to actually get vaccinated after that. So but this is uh, this is unlike what the county government has, which doesn't have a test out option, basically, that you could that you could substitute regular testing for vaccination. This is a strict vaccine mandate for all for all employees, along with some you know religious exemptions or health exemptions.
1: The Police Officers Association, the Union for San Diego Police Officers, in the midst of these conversations decides to release results of its poll of San Diego police officers that show that um, among the 733 who responded to their poll, 90% don't want that mandate, and a good portion of them prefer to get fired than to get the vaccine.
2: Yeah. Now, I just want to stipulate this at the onset. I don't think it's going to change where we go with this, but should be clear that this is a union-provided survey to union members. It's not a scientific poll. It was a survey that union leadership sent to their members, and their position in this negotiation has been clear that they oppose the mandate, and then they're asking their union members, do you support or oppose a mandate? And then they're taking the results of that survey to the press to say, see, our our membership opposes this mandate. So it's not exactly a, uh, a, a free experiment that comes to some objective understanding of how people feel. I think you've, you've got a, a, a real circular logic at play here where the union is saying, we oppose this mandate, we're negotiating against it. Hey guys, we're gonna take a survey to see how many of you guys dislike this mandate. And then they use the response, to gain leverage in those negotiations. So we're, we're not exactly talking about a, scientific. Per, a perfectly scientific right. public opinion survey. Okay.
1: Well, taking into account
2: that this is their stance. Yes. Now, now that all that said, this is their public stance. Yeah, So they get deserve totally to be scrutinized on the nature of their public stance. I'm not mayor. Mm-hmm. I'm not the mayor of San Diego. Thank God. This is a small organization, and boy... <laughs> that's wreak havoc already. Yeah, I get it. Thank you.
1: But if I were, you know what I would say to them,
2: Andy? Something about establishing an emotional connection with their <laughs> readers and yeah, enroll them in our narrative, enroll
1: yeah. them in our narrative. Yeah, something like Make that. Make sure the message is clear. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Yeah, no. After that, I would say, officers, listen. Over the last year, I have worked really hard. To make sure that all of your benefits are whole, that all of your pay is whole. You are the only class of employees, until just recently, by the way, that are guaranteed pensions when you retire. You, and I have worked really hard to protect that, I have protected your pay increases in the midst of a movement nationwide to challenge and change those. I have worked really hard to provide and make sure you were present and and included in discussions about reforms. And I've listened to your feedback this entire time. I have been there for you this entire time. Now, we have an opportunity and a mandate to provide for the safety of people by giving as many people this very special vaccine we have gotten against this disease that so many of your brothers and sisters have died from across the country.
2: Number one killer of police officers in the United States of America over the last year and a
1: half. Yeah. And I would like you to take it. And I think it should be part of your job that you take it. And I cannot believe that you are doing this right now. I don't want to trust a group of you to oversee the collective defense of our civilization, when we have come up with this miracle drug through that, it is a matter of force readiness. It is a matter of force protection. You are out interacting with people more than any public servants we deploy every single day, none of whom have been making any amount of noise like you have on this issue. You are the ones who are constantly reminding us about the danger you face out there. This overwhelmingly will protect you as far as the evidence that we have from the virus and has no risk involved. Who do you think you are standing up to this as a major principle? In fact, it indicates that you're actually buying into some pretty serious and concerning myths about science, about policy, and about this country's standards and what we actually are trying to do to protect people. And yet you're the ones sworn to protect them. It's really concerning to me. So if you're somebody who doesn't want to take this vaccine because of that, You don't want to be asked to take this vaccine. I would like you to leave. And a lot of people will say, well, we don't have very many officers. I can find somebody who wants a guaranteed pension for life. I can find somebody who wants these constant pay increases. I can find somebody who's better suited to defend our community and our collective interests. If you're not interested in participating in that, then sayonara. Yeah. Now, uh one thought is I don't think he's going to say that. No. <laughs> you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, "Okay, well can you test?" Yeah. You know what? The other thing I'd say, fine, if you want to go that route, just say fine. You take a test every day. Yeah. And you pay
2: for it. Yeah. It's out of your pocket. We're not paying for it. You get you can you can test out. It's a daily test for every shift and you pay for it. Uh yeah, I I mean if you were engaged in a battle for public opinion as the police officers very clearly have indicated that they think they are mm-hmm. over the last 2 years and you were policing a community that has over 85% of its residents have received at least one shot of this vaccine and your position is i will not get a shot i will not take this this medical treatment that will not only protect me when i have said for a long time that the reason that i deserve essentially particular treatment in the public is because i put my life on the line every time so this is going to protect me but also it's going to protect the community that i am sworn to protect and i'm not going to do that i think that's an exceptionally bad negotiating position yeah. if you're engaged in a battle for public opinion
1: yeah exactly you 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 seem out of step
2: yes with this community.
1: Yeah. Maybe your threat
2: to leave is something I should accept. Yeah. And and maybe they they I you know, maybe the the negotiating position is that look, we have leverage here. They're not going to say goodbye to 30% of the force, and as long as we have leverage, we should use that leverage. Maybe we walk who knows, maybe we we send these results to KUSI and they credulous, credulously cover them because they're engaged in a misinformation campaign systematically and it'll be beneficial to them uh, with the types of people they want to reach, with the types of information they want to reach. And 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 maybe we walk out of this with three extra vacation days at the end. One, one for each day of the shot plus another one. And that'll be worth it. That'll be worth it because we had leverage because we knew that they yeah. were not going to say and, goodbye to 30% of us. And if that's percent. the case
1: and you want to call me and tell me this Actually, dr- what we're trying to do is just get an extra vacation day. Yeah. Okay, call me. That that would help. Yeah. I'd be like, all right. But still, this is gross, yeah. and you're sowing the seeds of of suspicion and conspiracy,
2: and and the divisions within the community that you have specifically said need to be healed for
1: your v- own safety.
2: For- yeah, yeah. Did I you did. You did
1: great. It was great. Okay, for this next segment, Andy, set us up.
2: All right, so many years ago, the city of San Diego was figuring out where all of its workers were going to report to work downtown. They needed to lease some property. They leased a building called 101 Ash Street. Uh, This was a lease-to-own agreement, but whatever. That doesn't particularly matter in this case. The idea was that it would save the city money. And after Yeah, they'd own a building. They wouldn't have to pay rent.
1: They, uh, Over time, it would make
2: sense. Yes. They decided they were going to lease this building. And then a year went by and they still hadn't moved into it. More time went by. They still hadn't moved into it. It turned out that there were some internal problems that they hadn't really foreseen when they leased it. Eventually, they did move into it, but those internal problems hadn't actually been taken care of. County inspectors found asbestos, at which point all of the city staffers had to be evacuated out of that building, which kicked off a series of internal reviews that has been now a scandal that has sprawled for a few years. Increasingly, the focus right now is on the relationship between Jason Hughes, a local commercial real estate broker, who years before this debacle had agreed to start providing the city of San Diego real estate advice gratis. Yeah, that he would help them figure out where to put these workers. He would do it all
1: for free because it's in his interest and everybody's interest for the city to do it well. And the city would benefit by getting office space into the future.
2: And so for a long time, he was not particularly a big player in this uh, scrutiny around the 101 Ash Street property. But that has become less true lately. Beginning last fall, Lisa Haverstadt wrote a story, or it might have been as recently as January, actually, wrote a story wondering what happened to some $10 million in this deal. We couldn't quite locate. I think it was actually $14 million. We couldn't quite locate what happened to all of the money that was changing hands when this lease agreement was being signed. The deal itself was a little bit complicated because there was this middleman. There was Sistera was going to, this company Sistera was going to buy the property from the people who owned it at the time, turn around and lease it to us. And Jason Hughes was just on the periphery of this whole thing, we thought, providing free advice to the city about why they should go through with this deal, why this was a good deal. So it
1: was a big shock a couple months ago when we discovered that he acknowledged and Sistera, this company, that in fact he got paid from this deal about $5 million. And from a previous deal that was just like it, about $4.5 million. A lot of money for a volunteer. Now, that was all characterized at that time as he he had told the city he was going to get money, wanted to get money for these deals, and it was some sort of fee that was kicked off because he put so much effort into
2: it. Now, this was still a big deal because it's still raised questions about how impartial the advice he was providing to the city was. And more more than that, that because he had not filed a clear uh, public form that stipulated that he was going to receive money through this deal, we couldn't fairly scrutinize whether he was providing good advice.
1: If you're going to make almost $10 million from a deal involving the government, you should A – Disclose it. Mm -hmm. And B, it should have been the result of an open bidding process. Bidding process, neither of which occurred here. If we had known about this fee back then when this story broke, it would have been a big deal and changed everything.
2: So, fast forward to today Mm -hmm. or this week, Lisa Halver sat with, in my opinion, a massive, massive scoop in this story. Even what was already considered pretty scandalous, that he was in fact getting paid nearly $10 million in this role that we had understood to be volunteer.
1: And would have never known it not to be a volunteer were it not for the fact that they discovered the asbestos and this whole scandal kicked off as they investigated yeah. why this deal happened. Very nearly
2: got away with $9.5 million scot free. Never having been disclosed or discussed in public. And all of that is, it looks honestly minor compared to what Lisa discovered this week, in my opinion. She got a hold of what is
1: called a services and fee agreement between Hughes Marino and Sistera. Cistera is the company that is, you know, basically bought this building so that the city could buy it from
2: them. Yeah, and in fact, they did the same thing twice. Once at 101 Ash Street and once at the, it's called Civic Center Plaza, another high rise right by City Hall. Um, and so the Civic Center Plaza Deal only got wrapped into this very recently, and only again because of the scrutiny that was put on the 101 Ash Street transaction. But that was the other one that get, he got essentially half of the nine and a half million dollars he received in these two deals. Um, but so we now have documents from the the Civic Center Plaza deal. One of the questions we always had is why that?
1: Why that yeah. much? Because yeah. she went and did a whole story about how that doesn't fit any formula they have for a commercial real estate broker fee on any kind of transaction like this.
2: Yes, it's more than you would normally Far
1: more. Yeah. And so we actually know now. And the way he got it was on that deal for the Civic Center Plaza Tower. In this services and fee agreement, he and Sistera agree that he will get 45% of their
2: profits off the deal. So it, it the incentive there works such that If the city pays more money, every dollar more that the city pays for this deal, he makes
1: more money. Mm -hmm. So if the city, if every dollar of extra profit, he gets
2: 45 cents more. And so that's different than a fee Mm -hmm. where you could say, look, I'm I'm doing work. I I put in X number of hours work. This is the going rate. I'm getting paid for my time. Uh, Now, we'd still have to grapple with the part that you made a big public show about the fact that you were working for free and you were a volunteer and we didn't bid out the services and you didn't disclose any of this. That would still be a big problem. But if it's a fee, you could at least argue like I'm a working stiff. I put in my hours. This is the this is the amount that it's appropriate for me to get paid.
1: Yeah, it has a little bit less of the conflict issue. It's still a conflict. It's still a major conflict. It's, I mean, it's yes. one thing when you're just the volunteer advisor for the city. Yeah, it's another thing when you're the volunteer advisor who got paid by the others by the other side,
2: which you know calls into question how objective your analysis was when you said this deal should happen because you were going to get paid for it. Right, and all the things you may have said to make the deal work, but that is. Far less than the incentives present in this situation,
1: which is that he actually is a business partner of the other side yeah. that in in essence, not only is he getting
2: paid a fee, he is the other side, yes, and he has the same incentive to make profit that they do at that point. he's arm in arm with them it's it's not he even has, like he he's slightly less Yes. forty five well forty five percent right right, right. <laughs> But P- proportional, right? Yeah.
1: So when we're analyzing this as a conflict of interest, it doesn't get more stark. Actually, it does. It does, in, de- in fact. Because there's stark. another provision in this agreement where he agrees with Sistera that if this deal falls apart, he'll have to pay 45% of what they had to spend to make this happen.
2: Yeah, he, he is also on the hook for 45% of their costs, making him not even just an investor. It's not like he's an investor and he can lose his investment. He pays the cost of the deal dying. He fee, yeah. He, get, he loses money. He has to write a check if this deal doesn't go through. So the scenario now that the city of San Diego has is they're negotiating with Cistera to make this project happen. And the person who's giving them advice about whether it's a good deal or not is making a profit, is making a percentage of however much money the people on the other side of the table get. And if the deal doesn't happen at all, he pays out of his pocket 45% of what they lose for the deal following through. <laughs> and this is the guy who's telling the city whether they should take the deal or not.
1: It, he's intimately involved with their negotiations, which, by the way, one of the things that the city keeps most close
2: to its vest yeah. are real estate negotiations. They're allowed to do it in closed session because it's and, – and and like transparency advocates don't even get upset about that being able to happen in closed session because it's understood that you can't advertise your negotiating position for the people on the other side of the deal from you. Yeah. Well, the other people on the other side of the deal from him – have a guy in the room listening to the questions that they're asking. Have one of their
1: business partners yes. in the room working on it for them. Telling and, them and they have both a carrot and a stick yeah. over his head. Yes.
2: I mean it's unbelievable. It is <laughs> such a gross abuse of public trust. And from a
1: man who whose entire business model in the community was about avoiding conflict of interest, that he would only represent the tenants, never the landlords, yeah. and that he worked on legislation to that effect to make sure that they always disclosed if you were representing the other side of a deal like that, I feel like- or if you even had a connection yeah. through your business to that other side. And now it's been revealed that not only did he represent or did he have represent the city in this, but that he had a financial stake of significance in this deal happening and a, a penalty of significance if it didn't happen.
2: So this is all coming out through the course of this uh, lawsuit, basically. The, the city of San Diego is, is suing Jason Hughes and Sestera and uh, what the— Previous landlord as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so th- these documents are coming out through subpoenas and they're going through discovery and – And there's other – there's a third party suing both, right? Yeah. That's suing the city and everything. Uh, as a representative for the public basically, right? hmm So, uh, you know, I think more will continue to come up. What is interesting though is the information that has made it into filings on Jason Hughes' behalf or that has been leaked to the press – to sort of explain away his problem here, has been wholly unpersuasive.
1: Yeah, no. His constant defense from his attorney has been that he told the city he was going to get paid, which it seems like he did. And I am, yeah, I totally willing to but believe. But again, he, did. he didn't publicly disclose it. Yeah, and did he really tell them he had a stake?
2: Yeah, in the profits, and that I, I will be paying out of pocket. If this deal doesn't happen. Because the
1: other thing she revealed is that, hold on, the other thing she revealed is that they had an NDA, right? Yeah. He was prohibited
2: from disclosing. They were both prohibited from disclosing this arrangement. And they made good on that. Let me tell you, (laughs) they they didn't tell anyone about this. Just
1: an extraordinary series of revelations. We were going to have Lisa on the show, but she's working on more. She's got more. Uh, Fascinating. Uh, Go to voicesandiego.org. Check it out. And uh, it's, it's, uh, this is a story that keeps delivering. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in the Great Voice San Diego podcast studio in San Diego. Although there's more podcasts being recorded here, so maybe we'll have to reconsider its take that it is the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this podcast studio keep up with all of our big investigations and takes on local news with the morning report our most popular newsletter subscribe now at vod.org slash newsletters i'm scott lewis ceo and editor in chief andrew keats's assistant editor this show is produced expertly by adriana heldes meg wood and nate john thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week